and hello. <laughs> Welcome to She Addle on Tap. I'm Courtney Jacobson. And I'm Ashley Toten. <laughs> I caught you mid-sip there. <laughs> I'm so thirsty. <laughs> You're like, oh, <laughs> dang it. <laughs> uh, how are you doing, by the way? I'm doing great. <laughs> Got up and did a bunch of things around the house, so my house is clean, and that's wonderful. That is good. But yeah, pretty good. Just coming out of my weekend, so. Yeah. I am learning how to be a teacher. (laughs) (laughs) And fumbling my way through trying to fit my normal schedule into less time because of being a teacher. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I just, I really, I don't know how these teachers are doing this. It's, I'm seeing Layla's teacher just smile her way through all of these crazy technical difficulties. I mean, can you even imagine wrangling a bunch of brand new first graders over (laughs) over the internet. I just, oh, (laughs) there are times when I see her just, okay, everyone, and smiling, and I'm just like, I would be screaming my face off right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like you were saying, all these kids are not, like, computer professionals. Like, they don't Mm -hmm. necessarily know how the program works or what they need to be doing to be interactive in that situation, so Mm -hmm. it's a bummer. Yeah, a big part of today's lesson, I guess, if you will. So we're still in the first quote unquote week of school for Layla and it's, they're doing this thing they call strong start, which is just kind of easing them in. So these first five days of school are only two hours long of active time. And um, I mean, she gets assignments to complete afterwards and we sit down and do that. But um a lot of today was this is how we use this this program that we're going to be using every day (laughs) when I need you to mute yourself this is how you do it (laughs) Yeah. yeah so hopefully hopefully she will get a little more self-sufficient with it soon and Kids are pretty quick with technology. Like, I honestly feel like an ape sometimes trying to figure out how the fuck computers and shit work. I'm just, like, hitting them and yelling a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I feel like you put, like, a tablet in front of a kid and they figure out real fast. Yeah. So, might be good for all the kids, I guess. I mean, not the antisocial part. That part sucks. Yeah, I mean, all the kids are there at once, so they're sort of social, not really. I don't know. I'm sure there will be times when she'll kind of have them off in a little group of something. I don't know. Yeah, Yeah, my sister, we were joking. She asked, like, so do you have to be really hands-on with it? I'm like, oh, no, I'm a first grader again. (laughs) I'm in class. (laughs) she's like oh fun (laughs) no not fun I mean at least I know how to do the math (laughs) 
true. true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not doing like calculus and you're like, son of a bitch. <laughs> Everything she asks me how to spell, I know how to spell it. <laughs> oh, man. Cool. <laughs> so what are you drinking? Oh, let me tell you. Okay, well, I just told you this, but I didn't tell yeah. anybody else this, so I'll share. Um, I loved your, your face of like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so first of all, what I'm drinking is a lot more sour than I thought it was going to be, but not unpleasantly so. Um, I So first of all, I'm drinking the off-color brewing spots, which I don't know why I'm holding the can up to show because nobody can I see I like them. to look at look it. It's pretty. Thank you. <laughs> look at guys. Um, so this is a tropical fruit infused rather Berliner style vice beer. Uh, this beer was inspired by the Jaguar cocktail, which I didn't know what the fuck that was. So I looked up what that is. And if you're so inclined to make yourself one, it is one and a half ounces of silver tequila, three quarters of an ounce green chartreuse, three quarters of an ounce of Tironi Amer, which I don't even know really what that tastes like, dash of orange bitters, stir it with ice and then strain into a chilled cocktail glass garnished with a uh, flamed orange peel. Um, so it's got a lot of citrusy tropical mm. fruit notes. It's also only 3.8% ABV and three IBUs, which I don't oh. normally mention IBUs, but they were written so low that I was like, I feel like I have to say. Um, also fun fact, while looking up the Jaguar cocktail, I found out there is a drink called Jaguar uh, in, as it's listed on Wikipedia and described on Wikipedia in post-Soviet countries, that is essentially the, what it, like, all the info on it makes me just think of Four Loco. Before they banned it. Before they banned they it. They like, okay, not banned, but re-did the formula. Yeah, this is a... Um, just kind of skimming through it really quickly. I can put this on the website too, but it has some vitamins and things in it, but they do use <laughs> stimulants like caffeine um, and obviously alcohol. So it's similar to a Four loco. Mm -hmm. Really fruity. The color is hot pink where, I don't know if you can see my, the cocktail is more this color, which is just like a nice yellow yeah. golden color. Yeah. Um, kind of yeah. like apple cider. I'd never heard of the cocktail. I didn't know there was a second drink like Four Loco in the world called Jaguar. Yeah, so. who knew? Yeah. Hmm. I'm very curious what it tastes like. I hope, I want it to be very citrusy and like. I kind of want to buy you some. I know. <laughs> and then I'll get all hopped up on Jaguar and call you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to just start being, whenever you call, I'm going to be like, I think Courtney might be doing the Jaguar. <laughs> Are you all hopped up on Jaguar? <laughs> it's very good. If you can find it, off-color brewing spots, <laughs> Chicago, Illinois. So good. Nice. What are you drinking? I, <laughs> I bought a pretty label. <laughs> Courtney judged a book by its cover. I fully did. <laughs> I mean, a tiny bit. Okay. <clears throat> so... It was not expensive. It was just like, you know, kind of a cheaper can. I think it was only like $3 for the beer. So I was like, well, that won't be bad. Um, but it is a Northeast style hazy IPA. So, you know, that's why I got it. Actually a hazy double IPA. Um, but it's called, 
<laughs> glitter moon with unicorns. <laughs> and I just thought that was funny. So I felt like I had to buy it. <laughs> and um, it's by Revision Brewing. And they're in um, Sparks, Nevada. It is 8.5 ABV. And the IBUs on this say 40, but it's odd because it tastes like 60 IBUs. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, and in their description, they're saying that it's got all these tropical pineapple, blah, blah, blah notes. Um, <clears throat> they've got Galaxy and Vic Secret hops from Australia that exude pineapple and passion fruit goodness. But the problem is that bitterness just like overpowers it and you can't really taste a lot of it. Oh, that's so, too Yeah, it's kind of a womp womp, but I mean, it's drinkable. It's not gross by any means. I've, ha I've definitely had those beers where I'm like- Choking your way through it. Yeah. yeah. So. I, um, that has happened to me very infrequently. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't want to name breweries, but one, it happened, it's a lo local-ish one, happens mm -hmm. more than some other ones. But I've, that brewery, again, I won't say the name just because I don't want to throw people under the bus, but um, it was not. so bad that I couldn't drink it. I've never not been able to finish a beer. I literally was like, dump it. I will not drink that beer. Yeah. <laughs> it was so gross. That's happened to me one or two times. And sadly, I will usually be like, hey, honey, will you drink it? <laughs> Because it's kind of like the Mikey will eat it, you know, yeah, <laughs> with beer from my husband. And, um, but yeah, he, there's been a couple where even he was like, no, good. <laughs> that's, he needs a shirt that says Gordon will drink it. <laughs> Please no, because that's how he gets really drunk when we're out and about with people, when, you know, <laughs> pre-COVID times. <laughs> then I have to pour him into an Uber and send him home. <laughs> Drag him by his hair back yeah. home. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I almost took a selfie. I didn't oh, no. On my phone. Don't take pictures. <laughs> Heaven forbid. <laughs> so I go first today. You show sure a do. And because of last week being just such a fun out there one, I really wanted to keep that ball rolling. And I'm going to do, which also, this is kind of a call out to my friend, Jeff Gilbert, who um, writes a magazine, which you and I were, did a little guest thing in, a guest column in it. And um, some of his, what he writes about in this magazine is, alien abduction fake stories um but this one is gonna be the the abduction of the hill couple so the hill abduction um this is the story of betty and barry hills ufo abduction in 1961 and it was the first ever publicized alien abduction in the u.s uh, it came to be known as the Hill Abduction, like I said, or the Zeta Reticuli Incident. Zeta Reticuli Incident. Not easy to say. Um, that last one I will explain 
later towards the end of the story, but just know that it has to do with stars <laughs> and planets. And <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> All right, so <clears throat> before I get into the abduction, let's see who these people are. Um, Betty and Barney Hill. They are an interracial couple living in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. So not only are they living in, a, they're an interracial couple in a time where that is just super not okay with most people in the States, but they're also kind of on the side of the country where racism is a bit more of an issue. Um, so they're just living with that on a day-to-day -day basis. Barney, um, he worked at the U.S. Postal Service and Betty was a social worker. Like she was the person dealing with child welfare cases. So they're both civil servants. They're both level-headed, practical people that are very much not living selfish lives. In fact, um, they're both super active in the Unitarian Church, and they're also members of the NAACP. Um, and then on top of that, Barney was even on the board of the local U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. Um, so they're very busy, but like giving of their time to everyone else, just kind of amazing people and not at all the type of person we usually would think of when you think of someone being quote unquote abducted by aliens. <clears throat> so <laughs> just a thought. Um, do, do, do. Where'd I go? Here we go. So like I said, highly respected down to earth people. Haha. <laughs> down to earth. <laughs> um, <laughs> They'd been married for about 16 months and on a whim, they kind of look and they're like, hey, we've got a few days. Let's just take a quick road trip. We'll go up to Niagara Falls and then up to Montreal, Canada. And it'll be like our belated honeymoon because they never got a honeymoon. So after their mini vacation, um, they're headed home. Again, they're driving, took a little road trip because that's what they could afford. Um, and on the evening of September 19th, they, which happens to be National Talk Like a Pirate Day. Okay, so you need to know that. <laughs> September 19th, 1961, at around 10.30 p.m., they were just south of Lancaster, New Hampshire, and suddenly Betty sees something in the sky, and it's like a really bright light and it moves from below the moon and Jupiter and then heads upwards west of the moon. And she's kind of like, so, you know, Barney's driving along and she's kind of sitting there looking out the window like, hmm. <laughs> and then she just kind of, nah, she shakes it off. She convinces herself, nah, that was just maybe a shooting star. Um, then she notices it's still moving, but in a different direction and then it starts kind of being erratic and then it starts it seems like the light is getting bigger and brighter so maybe it's moving closer mm -hmm. 
And so she's starts thinking, okay, what the heck is this? And she convinces Barney to pull over so that she can um, get a better look. But she also, they have their little wiener dog with them, uh, Delcy. And she's like, let's, let's stop. I think Delcy needs to go potty. <laughs> so they stop. She gets out the binoculars. She's looking up in the sky and she's like, hmm, I think that's an odd shaped like craft in the sky and there's like multicolored lights and 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 here it is it's crossing the face of the moon so so i can definitely see what it looks like and naturally barney being a skeptic he's like give me those binoculars he looks through and he's like nah he barely looks at it just kind of like nah that's that's just an aircraft and uh it's it's <laughs> it's headed towards Vermont and probably going up to Montreal. <laughs> but um, then as he looks back in the binoculars, he sees that it's not just moving in that direction. It starts moving around in other directions and like being all weird and erratic. Um, and then he's like, hmm. No, I don't know what that is. Let's get in the car. Let's go. Let's <laughs> take it back. Let's get the fuck out of here. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> Grab the dog. Let's go. <laughs> okay. So we can tell like she is more the, I'm into this. I'm going to figure out what the heck this is. Inquisitive, open-minded one. He's the, no, mm -mm, right off the bat, he's going to say no. But then he also might think, of something but that also mm, I don't want to know <laughs> um search move but so a several years before this instance before this night apparently Betty's sister claimed to have seen a flying saucer which if you remember from listening to our um podcast that toy that term was coined here in Washington state in 1947 um, so anyway, she, because her, what's that? This is a test. <laughs> I've been paying attention. <laughs> um, okay. So she, she's naturally like, okay, so my sister says she saw one and wait a second, maybe that's what I'm seeing, you know? Um, so they get back in the car, they start driving home and as they're driving, they're kind of keeping an eye on this thing in the sky and they see that it continues to get closer and brighter to the point where they can see it see it and they guesstimate that it's probably about 40 feet long or wide whichever way you're kind of measuring it it's it's a cylinder so maybe wide um and that it's rotating like they can see it well enough to see that it is rotating um then at about a as they're still driving, they get to about a mile south of Franconia Notch, which is a mountain pass that's through the White Mountains. Um, the hills say that the craft rapidly descends toward their car so much that it freaks them out and they have to stop in the middle of the, the highway. And then at this point, the huge silent object is hovering above their car and it's probably they say 80 to 100 
feet, um, 8,200 feet in the air, just above their car. And it's like so huge that <laughs> you're just shaking your head. Nope. <laughs> nope. 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 Not into it. Yeah. Um, it's like just so huge that they can't see anything else outside their windshield. And Barney goes, reminded me of a huge pancake. <laughs> mm, pancakes. <laughs> um, so Barney grabs his pistol, shoves it in his pocket because obviously um, you're out in the middle of nowhere there. You've not seen cars for what and you know, you've already dealt with some aggression in your life and you're not trying to deal with some bullshit. <laughs> um, gets out of the car and grabs the binoculars and starts to look, because it's still, you know, 8,200 feet up in the air. And he looks through the binoculars and he sees 8 to 11 humanoid figures looking at them through the windows of this craft area. <laughs> I don't like that at all. <laughs> I'd be like, okay, mm, bye. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, my God. Um, then suddenly, all of these 8 to 11 humanoid figures, except for one, heads towards it. The way that this was described, it was kind of hard for me to understand, but apparently there's like, he could see through these windows so well that he could see that these figures all walked towards some like door, essentially. He called it a panel. They disappeared behind this panel, which was, he said was a hallway. So whatever, they all moved to a different room, except for one of them that continued to stay there right in the window, staring at him. I'm making these weird motions towards you to really creep you out. <laughs> very uncomfortable. <laughs> um, and he, of course, this is before mental telepathy was really a term or thought of. And so he didn't have quite the words for it, but he said that they communicated to him without words or speaking he just could understand what they wanted and had it in his head. Um, and they, it was telling him to stay right there where he was and continue looking up at them. Just focus on me. Everything's okay. <laughs> no. And dang it. I keep talking past my notes. <laughs> um, about a month. Blah, blah, blah. Way further down. Dang it. Okay. Um, so he, oh yeah. So it freaks him out. Um, he also could see them well enough to see that they were wearing black kind of shiny or glossy uniforms and then black caps, kind of like a military, almost like a green beret or something would wear, only they were black. Um, and then, so he's like, I don't know what to do. Some, what he says were wing-like structures start coming out of the sides and they had these bright red lights on the end of them. 
and just as all of this is happening, the aircraft lowers even further down and a, um, a ramp kind of comes out of the bottom of it. And he's like, fuck no, this is not <laughs> happening. Run, turns around, yells at Betty, get in the car. They're going, they mean to um, abduct us or they they're trying to take us. And um, yeah, they're going to capture us. That's what he said. So they jump in the car and start speeding away. As they're making their getaway, uh, Barney tells Betty to keep looking out the window, keep a lookout. Now, something I didn't say is um, Barney actually served in World War II. So hmm. he's, I'm imagining that he's probably having some serious like flashback situation right now. And, um, you know, all he can do is think of those kind of evasion maneuvers that he probably had to practice in World War II. Anyway, so uh, he tells her, keep an eye, keep an eye out. Are they following us? You know, what's going on? And so she rolls the window down just as she rolls the window down. Um, they hear this series of loud beeping and buzzing sounds and it makes them feel kind of tingly. They both feel this weird tingling sensation and it almost sounds like it's coming out of their trunk of their car. Then the next thing they know, they're about 35 miles further down the road. Oh, no. And they don't know what happened. They get home and they see that what should have been a four hour trip from those mountains was a seven hour trip from that, those mountains. Yikes. Mm -hmm. So they're missing three hours <laughs> and a lot of memories. So they get home and um, Betty, it, it, they both are just kind of feeling weird and they're kind of like, uh, you know, and Betty's like, don't bring the luggage inside. Just leave it out at the back door. She's kind of thinking, well, maybe whatever happened to us, um, maybe there's like some contamination or something. So she doesn't want any of their stuff inside. So they go in, um, and immediately Barney is like, I got to take a shower. And he feels a strong urge to inspect his genitals. He doesn't <laughs> know why. So he goes and he takes a very long shower. He discovers there's nothing wrong with him. He's okay. Um, and then, of course, Betty takes a super long shower. They both just feel like they have to scrub themselves to make sure they're not contaminated with what they don't know, but they just feel this strong urge to get extra clean. And um, Barney notices that, so they were both wearing pretty much their Sunday best. And because that's what people used to do when they traveled. Um, so he's wearing these very nice shoes. They're like his best shoes. And he notices that tops of the toes are scraped kind of like if you're being drug and then um betty notices that there's some 
weird stuff with her dress. There's like the zipper and then the inseam and the hem on the bottom are torn in places where they never, I mean, everything had been fine before to the point where they're beyond repair. And she also notices there's something weird, some weird pink powder on her dress. So she takes it outside and hangs it out. And of course the pink powder blows away as she's got it hung up outside on the line. And so there's no, no way to test whatever was on her. Verify what was. Yeah. But um, anyway, so they, they get some sleep and, you know, they get their showers, whatever. And so the day after they had gotten home, mind you, they remember it was 1030-ish. They get home, it's about dawn on the 20th now. So the next day on the September 21st, Betty contacts the Pease Air Force Base to report the UFO abduction. Um, she's a little worried that they're going to think she's a total lunatic. So she leaves out some details. Um, but she gets a call back the next day to have a more detailed interview with Major Paul Henderson. He talks with them and he ends up kind of closing out the report saying that she was just mistaken and it was just Jupiter. Oh, oh that must have been it. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Um. But of course, Betty's not satisfied at all. So she heads off to do some research of her own at the library. She finds a UFO book by the retired Marine Corps major and once head of NICAP, which I'll get into that in a second, um, Donald Kehoe. She writes to him explaining everything about what they can remember at this point. And then he, because he's retired, he gets her in touch with Walter Webb, who is a current astronomer. Well, at the time, he is an astronomer and a member of NICAP, which stands for National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. So it's a private organization that researches UFOs. So this guy, Webb, meets with them on October 21st, 1961. And after a six-hour interview, he determines that they are actually telling the truth. Ooh. Yeah. He said, with the exception of human error on how big the aircraft was um, and, like, how far away, like distances and things, measurements and stuff like that, um, that it sounds like everything they're saying, they were for sure telling the truth. <clears throat> so, um, after about 10 days pass after their initial uh, abduction, Betty starts having a series of vivid dreams, five nights in a row. And after those five nights, she doesn't have any more. And it basically is just what she says is her memories coming back from 
that part she can't the the three hours that are missing I don't know if I'd want to at that point you know so over five nights she her brain basically reveals the following um they encounter a roadblock and small men circle their car then walk them into the forest Barney was behind her and he seemed to be in a trance. She tried to reach out to him and he just was like zoned out, couldn't hear her. He's just like, not really there. Um, The men were about five feet, four inches tall and wore matching dark blue uniforms with dark blue hats. Um, They had blue lips and they had gray skin. Yikes. Um, so they go up the, they walk up the ramp and inside this disc shaped craft, the couple were separated. And as she protested saying, I don't want to be separated. No, where, why are you taking us apart? The quote unquote man that she called the leader said, we will, we're going to examine you both and it will go a lot faster if we examine you separately. So she agrees, she goes into her own exam room and another of these spacemen comes in and she calls him the examiner. And he was nice and he was very calm, but he didn't speak English as well as the person she called the leader. And she had a little bit of trouble understanding him sometimes, like he had a, a, an alien accent. (laughs) that's cone heads people keep up <laughs> um so they sat her in this chair turn a bright light onto her um they cut off a lock of her hair they scrape off some skin and they took nail trimmings and kept some they checked her nose, her teeth, her eyes, her ears, her throat and hands, her legs, her feet, just like checked her all over. Kind of like when you take your dog to the vet. (laughs) Um, And then the examiner tested her nervous system by jamming a needle into her navel. Oh, God. How do you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Which obviously caused her agonizing pain so this examiner just waved his hand in front of her face kind of like these are not the droids you are looking for and her pain was immediately gone (laughs) i like the the face of disbelief i'm getting from you right now um all right and then after the exam the examiner left and she continued having a more in-depth conversation with the one that she called the leader. Uh, She asked where they were from. And so he like pulls down some interactive map and star map. And he shows like a map of these dots of stars and like kind of shows her where they're, where they are or where they're from. I mean, Um, 
And then she kind of looks over and picks up this book that has all these symbols she can't recognize. And she's like, oh, what's this? And he's like, oh, you can have it. And um, so then as, she, as they're leaving the ship, as everything's done, uh, one of the other five foot four spacemen sees that she has this book, grabs it from her, and the the one that she calls the leader and this guy start arguing and she's like, he said I could keep it. And the leader guy looks at her and says, apparently we have all decided that we are not going to allow you to remember any of this. So you cannot keep the book. And so she's like, well, no matter what you do, my memory won't let me forget it. <laughs> Which is just so funny, like, you're being abducted by beings from another world and you still have the gall to be like, I'm going to remember. <laughs> I love it. I was imagining that fight still sounding like Coneheads and then just uh, like, Martin. Yeah, like in Mars Attacks. <laughs> oh, God. Okay. Thanks for giving me a chance to take a drink. Um, okay, so she doesn't get to take it. And anyway, so they walk them, deliver them back to their car and say, okay, sit here and wait and watch us. And then you can go. Watch us like go out into the, go up back to space or whatever. So they did as they were told and then they drove home. And that's where we get to the point where it, it's like they start driving, they realize they're 35 miles further down the road than they had remembered. So now we fast forward to November 25th, still 1961. They were interviewed another time by NICAP. And again, um, oh, and at one point, sorry, way back, they had kind of thought about... Um, doing hypnosis to maybe bring back memories and at the time hypnosis was still really really new not a lot of people were using it and not a people not a lot of people even knew it existed anyway so at this point they're interviewed again by NICAP and these guys are like well you know maybe you should do some hypnosis and Barney is like hell no I don't want to know if I don't remember I don't want to remember no, thank you. <laughs> so he just kind of dismisses them, waves it off. Um, so nothing really happens for a few years. And then at some point in 1963, they're, kind of, they're at church. And um, just like after one of the services, you know, people break off and they get into their little groups and talk and stuff. And um, they're just sitting there talking with some of their closer friends at church and they actually kind of get into a conversation about everything they had gone through. And one of the church members said, well, if you really are thinking about doing hypno hypnosis, um, I happen to know a name of a therapist and he does this, he does hypnosis. I trust him, blah, blah, blah. So on Janu January 4th of 1964, the Hills meet with Benjamin Simon to start getting hypnotized. And this ends up being a five month 
process of meeting on regularly scheduled, hypnotized, and they finally uncover some meetings or some memories. And it's just so funny to me because all of, they get hypnotized separately and they, the, um, this therapist, last name Simon, he writes a report at the end and he writes that a majority of their uncovered memories from the hypnotization are pretty consistent with um, Betty's dreams from way back when and, you know, 10 days after the, the whole event. However, there are a few discrepancies, but it's small stuff like the technology in her dreams that they had was a little different than the technology in her hypnotized memories uh, or uncovered memories. And then um, like how they were abducted in her hypnotized memories, they were just like, it was them being stopped and then they took them out of the car and took them up. But instead, instead of like guys surrounding her car at a roadblock and all that. And then um, the communication in her uh, hypnotized memories, they spoke just like in her dreams, but in um, Barney's memories and hypnotized memories, it was mental telepathy. Like he didn't understand anything or he didn't hear any words. Right. Um, so with all of that, oh, the other thing is there almost everything except for that communication or mode of communication, both Barney and Betty had the exact same uncovered memories. Oh, that's creepy. Yeah. So with all of this, that Dr. Simon guy writes that, writes his report saying that they were just, um, Barney was feeding into her hysteria of these dreams she had and because her dreams were so vivid, they both decided that it, they, it just really happened. So much so that they could be hypnotized out of them. <laughs> Confusion faces. Um, the other weird, weird, weird thing is, so that thing where when she asked, where are you guys from? And he pulls this weird 3D type kind of like interactive map um, she was asked at one point, I think by NICAP, um, to draw the map of where they were from. And at the time we didn't have the tech, the U S didn't have the technology to go that far out into space to know that that star constellation even existed. But in the late 70s, they did find that constellation and it was called, that thing I couldn't say, the Zeta, shoot, where'd it go? Um, Zeta Reticuli. Interesting. 
Yeah. So she could draw that before anyone here knew it existed until 10, 15 years later. <laughs> That's not cool, man. <laughs> yeah. I don't like that at all. It's wild. The alien abduction episodes of like X-Files used to scare the shit out of me. Oh yeah, me too, but I loved it. I loved how much it scared me. <laughs> I might have to watch that later now. So I'll like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is a documentary. I couldn't find it without having to pay $20. And clearly I'm not going to do that. So, but... I want to watch it. I might try to find a way to to watch it sometime, but make it happen. Yep. But yeah, so that's the oh shoot, and I forgot. I almost forgot to say. Um, at none of this point did they actually ever reach out to a paper and tell anyone. It was only that when after their hypnosis they had told the people at the church like, Hey, okay, so we did this and they, this is the findings that they, that this Simon guy had. Um, someone else that was at the church wrote into the Boston newspaper and then it was in the front page news. Okay. So they weren't like out trying to get like media attention and they never once reached out to try and get media attention which is wild. <laughs> so, yeah. That's a little scary, man. Mm-hmm. Are they, do you know if they're still alive? Um, he died in 1969 of, yeah, an aneurysm. And he was only, what did I say? It was like 46 years old. And then she passed away in 2004 and she was 85. It was of lung cancer. Oh. She lived for a long time. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Pretty crazy. And you can see if you go on YouTube, um, you can find the there's recorded um, tapes of their hypnosis here, like sessions. And you can hear just how vivid and panicking they are when they're remembering some of this stuff. And then on top of that, um, when she died all of her notes because she had after she had these dreams she started journaling it and then she's doing this research and she's writing about that so all her research and journaling and all basically all the evidence that these two were had compiled um got taken to it was like the university yeah the university of new hampshire which happened to be betty's alma mater so it's still there and you can access it free so that's pretty cool. It was very cool. Yeah. All right. Well, we I think we should take a little drinky poo break. Gross drinky poo. Yeah. <laughs> no poo. Poo free them. Uh, I also need more water. So I'm going to And we're back. Oh, goody. Oh, hi, Blix. Came to visit. <laughs> just in time for my story. What a good boy. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. So my story today. I love it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's a more recent story. Mm. Um, that when it happened, I was actually sitting in your bar oh. uh, when they were like talking about the arrest. And I remember being like, oh my fucking God, what the hell? Um, it is of David and Louise Turpin. Oh, I remember us talking about that. <laughs> it's so crazy. Oh my God. There's, you- there's a cat playing with a toy right outside the store. <laughs> I was like, what was that? <laughs> She's like, hey mom, play with me. Just <laughs> Lex, you go lay down and I'm going to tell a story, okay? All the animals come out of the woodwork. Hi! (laughs) This is actually Snow White, the podcast. We run out (laughs) of the all of nature. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I also had to get a new beer, which is really a a quote old beer, but I was out of beverage. But Mm. we've already talked about it, but I'm drinking the Quantum Vision. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the matches again. Just, you know, because it's good. Yeah. All right. So on January 14th of 2018, in Paris, California, two young girls ran from their homes and out into the California desert. The two girls, one was 13 years old and the other was 17 years old, had also taken with them a cell phone from the home to call 911. The 17-year-old caller would say, and it was recorded and released on their 911 call, quote, my parents are abusive. Two of my little sisters are chained to their beds right now. When the deputies of the Riverside County Sheriff's Department arrived, they find only the oldest child uh, still there. The littler one, the 13-year-old, ran back home. She was too scared. Mm-hmm. The young woman proceeded to show uh, the sheriff's pictures that she had taken with the phone just before she ran out that both shocked and terrified the responding officers. With this evidence in hand, the officers then raided the home of 56-year-old David and 49-year-old Louise Turpin. Mm -hmm. So before I get into the details of what all they found, we should probably talk about David and Louise a little bit. Um, So David Allen Turpin and Louise Anna Turpin met in 1978 when David was 17 and Louise was only 10 years old. Gross. Yeah. Uh, They later eloped in 1985 in Parisburg, Virginia. I'm pretty sure I said that right, but I don't know. I've never (laughs) Hopefully I said your city right. If you didn't write us, just means you will come there. Um, So also, according to one of Louise's sisters, Louise, a female cousin and herself, had all been sexually abused by their maternal grandfather. Mm. Um, She also claimed that their mother accepted uh, essentially like a bribe of cash from the grandfather to allow that abuse to happen. Gross. Yes. She also said that as a young girl during that time of that abuse, that Louise had started becoming obsessed with witchcraft and satanic rituals, which... (laughs) Uh, when I read that, so if Louise met David when she was 10 Mm -hmm. and this abuse was happening in her childhood, Mm -hmm. it probably started happening at a very young age. She was probably using those as some element of escape, like, 
yeah. if I believe something will save me, maybe it will get better sort of. Maybe thing. I can get my power back kind of a thing. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, at first I was like, I feel like they put it in, her sisters mentioned it to be like, maybe she was evil, but I feel like it was more like her trying to find an escape as a young person. And oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, David and Louise, now married, were followers of the Quiverful movement, which I had to look up, uh, and essentially means that they didn't believe in the use of any birth control because children were a gift from God. That is the practice. Um, in fact, if you were to use birth control, it was an open rejection of the gifts that God could give you. So you were basically ultra sinning by doing it, by just refusing gifts from God. I mean, you don't have to take gifts if they're given to you. It's true. It's perfectly <laughs> acceptable to you. Uh, <laughs> just saying. Also, they followed practices of Pentecostalism, which I also didn't know anything about, so I had to kind of look that up, but I'm sure most everybody else does. If you don't, Google it, because I'm not here to tell the story of Pentecostalism. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the couple's personal take on this religious mindset was that they had to keep having children. It was their duty because God, quote, this was their direct quote, God called on us to do so. No. So between the years of 1988 and 2015, the couple would have 10 daughters and three sons. Mm. Which makes my skin curl. That's a lot of babies. <laughs> um, and just for the sake of knowing, all of their kids, they named so that their first initial was J gross it's so weird that really freaks me out um hold on i need to sit john jacob jingleheimer schmidt <laughs> my dance moves just um, so the turpins would move around a bit in the late 80s and early 90s moving um from virginia they later went to fort worth texas and then rio vista texas and then eventually settled in paris california i also want to say i've been on multiple occasions to Paris, California, because I grew up in Southern California. It's not the best. <laughs> well, obviously, if these people live there for how long without anybody realizing? It's not great. Okay. Uh, it's not not the Paris of California, by any means. I mean, technically it is, but it's not, oh, it's not great. <laughs> uh, so in 2010, when the family left Rio Visto, Vista, rather, uh, neighbors found in the, amongst the garbage the family left behind when they moved, ropes tied to beds, mm -hmm. rooms full of feces, as well as several dead animals, just kind of all thrown into the garbage that they left there. Yeah. Once they settled into their Paris, California homes, the neighbors would say that the kids never spoke at all unless they were spoken to. So they never heard them playing or laughing or anything. Unless neighbors said, hi, how are you? They wouldn't say or do anything. I, yeah, I don't, as a um, person that has a child. They never stop talking. Possible. Yeah. <laughs> She'll um, just say words so that words are being said. <laughs> yeah, it's spooky to even imagine 13 kids not making a fucking noise. It's I, so creepy. So awful. Um, there were also lots of eyewitness accounts. The kids seemed visibly like really malnourished and pale. Yeah. Um, so family of David and Louise would also say that the couple refused to let the family see the kids. A couple of the family members also expressed concerns over the children's weight. Um, yeah. 
David and Louise would occasionally take the kids. Sorry, the burps now. Um, <laughs> Since when are you apologizing for burps? <laughs> I take it all back. <laughs> um, they occasionally would take the kids to Disneyland, which I also, for the record, Disneyland is so motherfucking expensive. Yeah. Can you imagine taking 13 kids? Adults, yeah. Two adults and 13 kids to fucking Disneyland. You'd be, that's like a whole year's salary. I can't afford to think about how much it costs to go there. <laughs> yeah, when I read alone. Dang, they could have bought a new house. Um, anyhow, so, <laughs> uh, so they would take pictures of the kids on these trips uh, to post on social media. So like anybody that followed them on social media would see these pictures and think, oh, this is a happy family. Everything's fine. They take the kids to Disneyland. They're having so much fun. And also creepy, they used to make their kids when they go out in public, whether it was at Disneyland or not, if they all went out in public together, they all wore matching Disney t-shirts. That's creepy. Um, yeah, and just also, apparently David and Louise had an obsession with Disney in general. Oh. In fact, their license plates were D-Land and, quote, D-L forever. Okay. They were over-the-top Disney people. So starting in about the year 2016, the kids had started realizing they needed to get the fuck out of that house. Um, and then, so two years later, on that January day of 2018... Police raided their home after the 17-year-old daughter, as I mentioned before, called 911. And in her call, she said that she and her siblings would be chained up for months or two at a time and only released for long enough to brush their teeth or use the restroom. Upon entering the home, uh, police found the 12 other kids, one of whom was still shackled to a bed. And Louise, apparently, when they walked in, acted like she could, she had no idea why they would be there. She didn't understand why they were coming into her house and seemed visibly upset and confused. Oh, my God. Um, yeah, which blows my fucking mind. Uh, once the officers started talking to all the kids, they found out until right before they actually came in on the raid, there were actually two more kids shackled to beds. There were three total children shackled. Um, but Louise must have, like, seen them coming and started unchaining kids, basically. Yeah. And although the police initially thought all of the kids were under the age of 18, once they started talking to the kids, they realized they were so malnourished that actually seven of them were over the age of 18 and were being held there against their will. Which is insane to me. Yes. Oh, I, it... First of all, holding anybody against the real ever is fucking horrifying. But then when mm -hmm. you think about the fact that it's was seven, it's like half of their kids were being held there against their will. Yeah. For what purpose? So David and Louise had been hiding this extreme abuse from the world, obviously. And it was reported yeah. Pebblewood um, later when they started doing the reports and researching, they found out that they used to beat their kids severely and strangle the kids with some mm -hmm. of their, um, you know, discipline technique. Um, and they only allowed their kids to eat once a day. And the kids only showered at most once a year. God. Or bathed. I shouldn't even say shower. Bathed in general. The extreme level of malnourishment left their 29-year-old daughter weighing 82 pounds when they found her. Uh, uh. Yes. I have no idea how tall she is, but 82 pounds is too small for anybody that's 29. <laughs> like, like, I can't imagine, unless you were like five foot or smaller, there's no way you could even be, and they would still be too skinny, I feel 
just the fact that they stole all of her 20s at yes. all. Yep. The parents frequently left the kids shackled at length throughout the day. Police also discovered while talking to some of the younger kids, they had been so sheltered from the outside world that they didn't even know, had never heard of medicine or police. They didn't know what either of those things were. And needless to say, none of these kids had seen doctors or dentists, like right. some cases yeah. their entire life. Yeah. Um, it was also found out that during the children's imprisonment, David had been sending false affidavits to the state certifying that the kids were actually attending a private school which they, upon the arrest of the parents, they realized that that was never the case. The kids had never formally gone to school. The Turpins would initially plead not guilty for 12 counts of torture, 12 counts of false imprisonment, and seven counts of abuse of an independent child, and then also six counts of child abuse. David was also separately charged with the fraudulent affidavits, and then also for, quote, a lewd act on a child under 14 that wasn't disclosed what that act was, which makes me feel like there may have been some sexual problems yeah. there. Um, their bail was set for a minimum of $12 million, which I'm like, well, that's good at yeah. least. Yeah. I've been available for bail at all, but you know, take what we can get, I guess. Uh, finally, on February 22nd, 2019, they were both charged um, I'm sorry, they both changed their pleas to guilty, but for one count of torture, three counts of willful child cruelty, four counts of false imprisonment, and six counts of cruelty of an adult dependent. They were both sentenced to life in prison, but were offered the possibility of parole after 25 years, which a lot of the reports were saying due to the severity of the, like we just, one of our recent episodes, I was yeah. talking about, they passed a law, mm -hmm. uh, that any time there's been torture involved, you were usually not going to be eligible for parole. And in this right. case, I think that they think if it comes up for parole, they're going to get denied based on that law, basically. It'll be, um, I mean. <laughs> it's a lot, man. Yeah. During the sentencing of their parents, some of the older children attended to watch their parents receive the sentences for their lifelong torture and imprisonment. One of their daughters said in court, I'm taking my life back. I'm a fighter, I'm strong, and I'm shooting like a rocket. I'm shooting through life like a rocket, rather. Aww. She was now living on her own and attending college. She went on to say, I love hanging out with my friends and life is great. I believe everything happens for a reason. Life may have been bad, but it made me really strong and I fought to become the person I am. I saw my dad change my mom and they almost changed me. And then an older son attended, and he actually read a statement on behalf of one of the younger sisters. Mm -hmm. And it's, she wrote, quote, I love both of my parents so much. Although may, it may not have been the best way to raise us, I'm glad that they did because it made me the person I am today. I just mm -hmm. want to thank them for teaching me about God and faith. I hope they never lose their faith. I pray for them often. I'm doing well and I'm in college full time and I have an apartment. We're not supposed to necessarily understand God understand God's will, but we are only just going to follow and trust him. And then during that statement, Louise started just openly weeping in court, just sobbing. There, the kid's lawyer uh, also spoke on behalf of another daughter and she wrote, quote, 
I want the court to know my parents loved each other and loved each of their children. I remember our mother sitting in her recliner saying she just didn't know what to do, that she didn't want to use a rope or a chain, but she was just afraid her kids were getting too much sugar and caffeine. Uh, also, just in case you're wondering, the couple had 13 kids, but were only charged in the cases of 12. Evidently, their youngest child, who was just a toddler at the time, was the only one that seemed well-fed and well-cared for, which I thought was very interesting. I was like, why would you... How old was that one, their youngest? A toddler. They didn't specify the age. Okay. I'm like very small. So I wonder if it was like a... You, if you're the baby, you get fed and... But once another baby comes along you get treated like the rest of them or something, or maybe there's like a certain age cut off. I don't know. It's weird what shit. Favorite. So um, yeah, they're both in fucking jail. So that's great. Yeah. I hope they stay there. I hope those kids are doing well. Hopefully, I don't know if any of them would, um, after going through a thing like that, if you would want to ever listen to true crime, but if they're listeners, like you don't have to write it or anything, but I just hope you're doing well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Man, that's wild. The whole, like, still having such strong faith in God thing kind of throws me. Because I, I don't, on one hand, I'm like, okay, yeah, you just for your sanity, I could see holding on to that and being like, you know, I, this is the only way I can explain it kind of a deal and stay sane. Yeah. But then on the other hand... I don't know how a person could still believe in a God if after going through all that. Well, that and the statements of the kids, I kind of felt the need to put in there because mm -hmm. uh, at least one of the kids' statements was, I love my parents and they did, essentially she's saying they did the best they could, but everything she says that mm -hmm. they did is fucking terrible. Yeah. Which is like, clearly you've been brainwashed into, you know. Yeah, she hasn't had enough time. Yeah, and the severity of what they did to her. Yeah, and and her siblings for that matter. But yeah, exactly. I I don't know how you walk out of a situation like that, and in a year or two later, be like, oh, but we love each other. But if that's all you know, I mean, who really wants to believe that they come straight from evil? Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of mental, like, just hula hoops or something that you go through just to keep yourself sane and keep yourself safe. Mental safety measures. <laughs> and I know a lot of folks, like, I, I mean, obviously I'm not a religious person, but um, I know a lot of folks... Um, I don't want to say use religion because I don't, I don't mean it to sound like it's like a substance, but right. a lot of folks sometimes, uh, I, yeah, I'm trying to like, not, you know, a lot of folks lean on their religion as a means of supporting their ability to have strength in situations right. like that. Like I'm, I'm pretty easy at being like, oh, this fucking sucks and people suck and blah, blah, blah. But there's also good people. Right. Some people don't have the ability to do that and they need something else to get them there. But. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
after that level of abuse, I don't know how you, yeah, Ugh. it's fucking rough. And especially the, I mean, the younger kids, I'm sure they're real fucked up too, but the ones that have been held there and were almost 30 years old still being held like that, I can't that even. That part to me, I just... So, I mean, just the the things you're missing out on of just normal growing up, I guess for all of them, really, but... Yeah, she's an adult, though, now. Like, that's... And had been for quite some time. Yeah. <sighs> like you said, still your 20s. Like, I... Yeah. You do so much shit when you, in your 20s that helps develop you as an uh, older adult. Like, I kind of mm -hmm. feel like... Uh, actually, a friend, Jen, who I probably listens. I don't know if she does or not, but she once said, uh, your 20s are learning everything you did wrong in your teens. <laughs> and then your 30s are when you started to perfect things and your 40s is when you fucking shine. <laughs> like, when you know what's up. <laughs> not, those are not her exact words, but it's essentially right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, makes sense. Yeah. And so all those, I think all those life um, moments, were mm -hmm. she was robbed of all of that. Yeah. And then if you want to think about, I mean, all of them really were, well, with the exception of the toddler, um, robbed of so many important things in childhood, like just getting to run around and have fun with friends and yeah, giggle about potty humor. <laughs> I still do that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there's that. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying totally. to think of like Layla and her her friends and like what they talk about. <laughs> well, and I mean, one on a positive note, one thing I didn't mention in the story, but um, I did find out. So the older kids, obviously, they were given help and help to get apartments and get into schools and yeah. try to be functioning adults in society. But the kids, the younger kids, so it was about half of the kids. Um, were separated, but they were put in two different houses. Okay. So uh, somebody essentially was like, I don't have room for seven kids, but I can take four. Yeah. Oh, man. And they got moved like that. So they yeah. were at least kind of still together, which is kind of nice because I feel like in situations like that, sometimes kids just get lost in the system. They don't mm -hmm. have their siblings, which in that circumstance was probably really important for them to be able to talk out because they're the only ones that knew what really happened yeah so being able to talk to your sister or brother and be like oh this exactly, went yeah. having that is i think really important so i'm glad that the state at least made that happen yeah that makes so much sense because when you're living it you're just going through the motions to get past another hour past another day just to get through life and but then once you get out of it memories resurface where you're like oh yeah remember that one day when we were chained to the bed and we both had explosive diarrhea and <laughs> <laughs> yes Courtney exactly like that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know you just like horrible things that they lived as day-to-day -day normal but then had to resurface as memories going, oh, so that's not how normal people live. I also, part of me, I mean, again, like Paris, California is like really desolate. Like there's not a lot going on out there. It's yeah. just a little desert area. Um, 
I part of me also was like, you know, the folks in Texas later mentioned finding the like chains on beds and all the shit. I wonder if any of them bothered reporting it at the time. Because I kind of, I was also curious if any neighbors that saw these kids never leave the house, if they ever reported it. Because I feel like they would have been caught way faster. It doesn't sound like a very Southerner thing to do. Southerners are very much about staying out of other people's business. Yeah, I, I would have been like, I'm sorry, you have 13 kids and there was ropes on the bed? That's alarming. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You have 13 yeah. kids and none of them ever come out to play? Yeah, not cool. Yeah. Very upset story. But yeah, I, the other, I've been thinking about doing that one for a while. Mm -hmm. uh, but I honestly didn't want to read about it. <laughs> it's too I have a few of those stories where I'm like, oh, I'm not ready for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had a shower thought, but you don't remember now, right? I don't. I don't at all. It was such a good one, too. I remember thinking that was so funny, but I don't remember it at all. It's annoying. I'm sure I'll remember it the minute we're done recording and be like, dang it! <laughs> <laughs> oh! I actually remember! Shit. You also scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I heard somewhere people talking about the um there's like this whole set sandwich argument about anything between two slices of bread whether it be a bun or a wrap type thing or whatever is a sandwich so with all of that given <laughs> do you consider a hot dog a sandwich or not so really funny thing first <laughs> so brendan who is one half of yeah. the subterranot recording collective that does our yeah. music and his wife Alyssa, had this ongoing argument about this <laughs> she was like, everything is a fucking sandwich and he was like motherfucker it's not in between bread. It's wrapped in a thing, not a sandwich. Yeah. And this shit, this is still a semi-argument of them. Oh my God, I love it. <laughs> specifically came up at some point. Yeah. It's turned into the phrase being used repeatedly, hot dog sandwich. <laughs> so I am not team sandwich in that regard. <laughs> Having said that, a thing that happens to me every fucking time I eat a hot dog is the bun breaks, and then I have two separate pieces of bread, and, you have a and it's a fucking sandwich. <laughs> that is exactly why I was like, but wait. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, I'm going to have to make sure Brennan knows that we talked about this. Because I couldn't have to record their conversation. Oh, that's amazing. It's like a, over a year-long like debate that was being done on Facebook very publicly. Yeah. They'd be like, but what about this? And it would be like, not a sandwich. Why? Uh it just kept happening. It was so yeah. And it it's funny because what got me thinking about it was hamburgers. It was like the debate of 
Is it just a hamburger or is it a, also it's a sandwich? It's a sandwich. Originally, it was between just regular bread, not a bun. The first ever hamburger was called a hamburger sandwich. So it's yeah, I think that it's a sandwich because I feel yeah, like totally regardless of the bread type, yeah, it's if it's like built between a thing like this. <laughs> then okay, see now you. we're gonna go down a rabbit hole. Uh -huh. It's a calzona sandwich. No. Hmm. Because the whole thing is, because it's not bread when it goes in the oven. It's a whole pastry. If you build it with existing bread. <laughs> like one of those, uh, what the fuck are those? Which means things? a corn dog is not a sandwich. Oh God, I wanted a corn dog real bad yesterday. <laughs> I don't even eat meat and I wanted one. Sounds so good. <laughs> Did you see that the uh, Beyond Meat has sausage hot dog type? No. Beyond, yeah, Beyond Dogs or whatever they are. Yeah. Of, what the fuck are the ones I just had? Oh, Impossible Burger. Yeah. One of the local restaurants uh, near to where I work. I don't normally, I'm a really like diligent pack my lunch every day person. Like I pretty yeah. much all my meals at home. Especially with the hours that you guys do. Yeah. Like, I can't rely on takeout or anything, usually. Or, or the kitchen in the back. <laughs> yeah, we don't have one, it turns yeah. out. Um, and I just, you know, I'm always kind of like to be mindful of where my food comes from. But anyway, I, a couple, like, I guess it's been about a month now, I got, just gave up and was like, I'm ordering food. Yeah. And I was going to run next door to one of the restaurants next door and they had on their menu an impossible burger. And I was like, oh, I yeah. need to know if this is real. Like if this is a thing that actually tastes good and like, it, it, it's pretty goddamn good, dude. It's pretty I, goddamn good. I ate a complete silence at the desk in the office of where I work, just <laughs> silently chewing, finger licking, eating fries. Yeah. And I came out and felt like I had just had a fucking out of body experience because it was so good. Yeah. So good. We put them on the grill here at home a few times and just pretty good. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. I just, I could see though, I've heard people be like, if you ever cook them, they're really gross, but I can see that. Well, we, I mean, we grow, oh, like cook it on a pan or something at home. Yeah. yeah. If it's like gets cooked too long and it gets all. Over. Oh yeah. I mean, that goes the same with regular hamburgers. So yeah. samesies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I grew up, uh, in a family that everything was well done and oh, right. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> not a fan of that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I could, I could go further on this, but I'm just gonna, in the interest of saving time and, and people's attention. Everybody's like, uh-huh. Bye guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. For those that are still listening, we love you and thank you. <laughs> I also, for the record, there are some podcasts out there that yeah. we've been texting back and forth yeah. about. Again, I won't name names about shit. Right. But there has been an entire episode length of dialogue. Yeah, 45 plus minutes of just of this. Shitty um, chat. Yeah. And um, quarantine is getting to some people. <laughs> you can do that not recording. 
But you know what, guys? Sometimes you're going to hear that we like impossible burgers, and sometimes <laughs> you're going to hear our debates about sandwiches. <laughs> oh, there. <laughs> Same sandwich, hot dog sandwich. <laughs> now I want a t-shirt that says hot dog sandwich. We can make that happen. <laughs> Channel on tap and hot dog sandwiches. <laughs> 25 cent hot dog sandwiches. <laughs> All right, you guys. Okay, well, I think with that. <laughs> Until our next shower thought that sends us on a tangent. <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> All right, until next Monday, uh, drink good local beer. And please tip your fucking bartenders. Yeah. Toodles. Bye. For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap. Email at sheattleontap at gmail.com or our website sheattleontap.com You can also like us on Facebook and all of the Seattle on Tap original music is provided by Bubble Bathism courtesy of the Subterranot Recording Collective. <laughs>